0: It is locked on jazz for the 5th of May. Happy Cinco de Mayo. Stop the lunacy about lack of understanding of analytics basketball. Roster building by the Phoenix Suns and the Milwaukee Bucks. What can we learn about what works in roster building? It's all coming up on today's edition of Locked on Jazz. Pow. You are Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hi, hey, I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. This is Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on Utah Jazz, giving you insight, expertise, geeky numbers, and hopefully making it way better to be a Jazz fan. Thank you very much for making Locked On Jazz your first listen every single day. We are free and available on all platforms, including YouTube, where poll questions and comments are appreciated. We'll have a conversation uh going on there today as well. So please leave comments there, leave reviews on the podcast. And thanks very much. Today's show is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online, as you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. Three quick things off of last night's game with the Suns and the Mavericks, even before we uh, decide to look at uh, the roster building and whether we can learn anything um, from that. That's uh, the roster building of the Suns and the Bucks and what we can learn in regards to what the Jazz did or did not do in their roster building Uh that has left us out of the playoffs here after the first round. Three things, though. Let us clarify something about analytics. The rise of the three and the rim, which is what analytics, offensive basketball really is, and then there's a lot more levels to it we've talked about, which is the increase in offensive rebounding or desire to get in transition, all those things. The reason for that is because a shot at the rim is 66% which is about 1.3 points per shot and league average on a short mid-range shot in the playoffs, even, even in the playoffs is 44%. In the regular season, that number is much lower. That number is 42% and long mid-range is 41, but even playoff teams are at 44%. And so that's 0.88, 0.89 points per possession. The corner three is a, 39% 39% point shot. It's about a 1.18. The above the breakthrough is about 35% shot, which makes it to be about 1.0. And of course, free throws are 1.70 some odd percent, 75%. So they're, you know, 1.5. That That's the reason for that is that's the league average. If Chris Paul and Devin Booker and the Phoenix Suns shoot 60% on mid-range shots, that's not defying analytics. That makes that a reasonable shot. If you have players who can shoot your mid-range shot at those kind of incredible numbers, then that makes all the sense in the world and you should shoot it all the time. And nobody would possibly tell you otherwise because Chris Paul's 74% right now on long mid-range shots in the playoffs is one44 eight points per shot. It's better than a rim shot. He should shoot it every time. Devin Booker's 50% on long twos is 1.0. As the shot clock winds down, it's better than just about any shot other than a corner three or a rim shot. He should take it. Nobody ever said in analytics that you couldn't shoot mid-range shots. So anyone out there who's arguing, the Phoenix Suns are proving that analytics are wrong. Exactly the opposite. What actually has happened, and Seth Partnow talked about this in his book, Mid-Range Theory, is the demand for the rim and the demand for threes has opened up the mid-range and allowed it to be a much more efficient shot by the best players in the league. What we've eliminated is Greg Foster. No offense to Greg. I don't know why I chose him. Taking an 18-foot jump shot. Kind of like seems to me to be symbolic of somehow of like old basketball. It's not a good shot. That's a bad shot. That's where analytics says don't take that shot. Kick it out for a three. Get something else. But if you have an elite level shooter who can shoot at above any of the numbers I gave you, 1.3 at the rim, 1.18 at the corner three, point Oh, at the threes, 1.1, one, whatever. Shoot it every time. Every single time. Shoot the floater. The, the game has changed with the propensity for threes to open up the middle of the floor, and it allows for that to work. Jordan Clarkson shoots 52% on short mid-range shots, the floater zone. Pretty good. Take it. Mike Conley shoots. on the short mid-range shot. Eh, .9, getting a little sketchy. Depends where it is on the shot clock, when it is. Donovan Mitchell is a 47% shooter on short mid-range shots. Okay, like not bad. Not bad. Like you have it, you're going to make it. And our other choices above the break three, probably inconsequentially different. Take it. Jordan Clarkson for the year on mid-range shots was 50%. That's great. Take it. What you're dealing with is when, you know, somebody else, Rudy Gay, shoots 34% on a short mid-range shot or 42% on his on his long two, don't take it. That's a bad shot. But the idea that somehow Phoenix is defying analytics, exact opposite. Phoenix is exemplifying taking the best shot. For them, the best shot happens to be mid-range. Also because they have Cameron Johnson, Mikkel Bridges, Jay Crowder, spreading the floor, opening up the middle with DeAndre Ayton rolling to the rim. So they're attacking the rim. They're spreading to three and they're leaving the middle open. There's more room in the middle of the floor than there's ever been before for players to take those shots. And and they're doing a great job of it. Second one. I was talking to a really, really, really smart basketball mind uh, during the Jazz maverick series. And he said to me, gosh, can we stop anointing Jalen Brunson as a $25 million player and wait till he plays a good defensive team. It's a great point. You can make so many mistakes in this league by evaluating a player solely based on the matchup that they just had. You better make sure that that matchup is replicable in every other scenario. Also the greatest example ever is Isaiah Thomas signing Jerome James after the Seattle supersonics crushed, the Sacramento Kings and Jerome James was brilliant and they turned out to be a dud. The Seattle Supersonics actually signed Calvin Booth, who is now one of the best GMs in the league, after he had a fabulous playoff series and then got nothing out of that because they made the same mistake. Jalen Brunson last night against a good defensive team, 3 of 12. The night before, didn't bring much either. So be pretty careful on that idea. Final one is, we talked about it on the Jazz series, with the, the, the what the Jazz needed to do was go hunt Luka that Luka was a defensive liability. Well, that's exactly what has happened in this series at the highest and most extreme levels of this series. Kurt Goldsbury had the note yesterday that the Phoenix Suns, I mean, they went after Luka every single time, and they averaged 1.8 points per chance when Doncic was the screen defender in the second half of last night's game. They went after him 19 ball screens in the second half. What they've also done really well is when they bring that soft double to get the ball out to protect Luca, they've then moved the ball and made plays. And it's that's exactly what we could not do in the series. It'd be really interesting to go back and rewatch some of our offensive sets of whether or not it was selfishness and non-ball and non-moving the ball in those circumstances or just our 27% shooting from three. That would be that would be super interesting, I think, to go look back at and see because that's that was what off we failed offensively against Dallas, and hunting Luca was the answer to that. And then from hunting Luca gets to when they try to protect Luca, you now have the advantage that is the signature of jazz basketball. Move the ball out of that and get opportunities. It'd be interesting to go back and re-watch and see whether or not we did get those or not or whether or not. And that's where we shot 27% from three and missed. And we actually got them. We just didn't make the plays. Be interesting to look back at, but Phoenix is doing a great job. Phoenix is great. Uh, That series is probably over. Dallas wins game three and makes it interesting. And then we'll see what happens. But um, that one's probably over. Phoenix is just too good. Uh, I thought Dallas actually looked really good. I thought Phoenix just looked too good. Uh, in that one, uh, today's show is brought to you by a group called Summit Cap. They're a Utah uh, local investment group made up of successful business operators. They actually invested in lockdown and were great to deal with. They never once said, When do we get out or anything of that nature? Um, unlike a lot of private equity or venture capital firms, which kind of put you under an artificial timeline, they never did that for us, like uh, once at one moment along the way. Um, and so instead. What they they were just great partners. What they're looking for is to provide capital for a management seeking to buy out the owner of a business that they work in. Um, so in other words, if you work for a company, let's say that the uh, family's owned it for a long time, they don't really want to take the next steps. Why would they put in the effort? It's working well. It's creating good revenue for them. You know this company's worth more. You don't have the capital to buy them out. It's a win-win for everyone because Summit Cap provides the capital for you. You buy them out. They leave. They go hang out in St. George. And play Entrada, and live a good life. And you now own the company with the support of Summit Cap and build it up into the next element. They're also looking for owners that are seeking to sell their businesses or entrepreneurs seeking capital to help grow businesses. And then you end up in Entrada with them at the end of that scenario, and you're all playing. And I don't know why Entrada became the gold standard of all things, but it just did today. Feel free to contact Matt over at Summit Cap at 801-796-2033. Just text him. 801 796 2033 or locked on jazz at summitcaputah.com. Locked on jazz at summitcaputah.com or click on the contact on their website at summitcaputah.com. Today's show is also brought to you by our good friends over at Rock Auto. Good buddies. Rock Auto, why would you want to spend 30, 50, or 100% more on the same parts from your chain store or car dealership? Uh, Rock Auto is a family-run business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. Their prices are reliably low for every customer, whether you're a do-it-yourselfer or a professional, and they have everything you need from brake part, tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpet. They encourage you to discover all your carton needs and discover how Rock Auto can help you. And when you're there at rockauto.com, Please write Locked On in the How'd You Hear About Us section. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. We are now going to look at the Phoenix Suns and the Milwaukee Bucks and their roster building over the last year, few years to see how they got to where they are. I don't know that the Bucks are going to make the finals uh, without Chris Middleton, so then we'll look at Boston. And frankly, that's Danny Ainge, so that's kind of awesome. Uh, but what's interesting about both Phoenix and Milwaukee is that they are good comps to us because they're doing it without a top 10 pick, right? So Giannis Adakumbo, Devin Booker, are the key pieces in this thing, and then Phoenix has the number one pick in DeAndre Ayton, which changes that equation a little bit, and he's really great. And so it kind of ruins that scenario. Um, but their best players aren't top 10 picks. Milwaukee's a better... Example, um, frankly, that the DeAndre Ayton just being totally awesome is what's changed Phoenix, and I think people are having a hard time grasping how great he is as the number one pick. Everyone wants to talk about Trey Young and Luca from that draft. DeAndre is pretty great, so let's go to Milwaukee. There's a lot of like blah 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 coming at you here. My goal in this is to try to have some takeaways for you. The first one is if you look at Milwaukee's championship, it starts all the way back in their moves of 2018. And there's a lot of failures before they get to that championship. In 2018, they signed some unbelievable deals. They signed Brock, Brooke Lopez to a one-year, $3 million deal after he's coming out of the Lakers, and somehow the league's decided that this this big center is an antiquated player who doesn't have any value. And they figure out exactly how they're going to use him and exactly what he's going to do. This is like the best signing of the whole thing they do, is in 2018, they get Brooke Lopez for one-year, $3 million. They re-sign him later to think get two-year, 20-some-odd million-dollar deal. But that move right there is brilliant. And this is going to be a signature of some things the Milwaukee Bucks were able to do, and that is find players who have whose use for their team has kind of expired or worn out, and they figure out how they're going to use them. The second one in 2018 was Pat Connaughton. Pat Connaughton, they signed to a two-year, $3.3 million deal out of Portland, and clearly, that is great scouting. That is great understanding of the league, of where what your players need and what you need. He was an elite level athlete. Um, and so he does some, he did some, um, he's that was a great signing. Now, the other thing, so there's one ability to recognize players on other rosters that usage is expired there that you can find a way to use. Number two. These teams make tremendous amount of mistakes. Like worse, we missed on Rudy Gay, right? Like as of right now, we missed on Rudy Gay, whether he comes back a year after his surgery and is better. But as of today, the idea that we signed Rudy Gay, who I said the whole time will be in his April, June, April, May impact player, and then he doesn't play, that's a miss. It happens. It's interesting how often these guys miss. They, they build championship teams and they miss, but they hit on the big ones. So – In February of 2019, Milwaukee actually trades for Nikola Miritich, which doesn't really work out for them um, and becomes a problem. And Miritich ends up leaving the league afterwards. In 2019, they trade Malcolm Brogdon in a sign and trade. They then make a bunch of signs. They sign Kyle Korver. They sign Wesley Matthews. They sign Robin Lopez. They get very old, very veteran, and they bust in the – and they have George Hill they've acquired, and they bust in the bubble. Now, they get in the social justice and the George Floyd and the um, case in Kenosha, Wisconsin, and they get a lot of stuff that kind of derails who they are in the bubble. But the bottom line is they bust. They come out of that and make the mammoth deal. They hit, this is where, like to build a championship team, you have one mammoth grand slam. And they hit on Drew Holiday. And really, all they gave up for Drew Holiday was two first round picks. They give up two pick swaps, but it's just flipping irrelevant. Pick swaps are irrelevant because if you're good and you hit on the trade, you're going to be in the top five five worst picks of the draft. And so this was an this was an unbelievable heist by the Milwaukee Bucks. Because first off, if you're gonna if you hit it right and you have Giannis, and obviously they had to keep Giannis at this point, the risk that they had was that Giannis was going to leave. New Orleans was playing that Giannis is going to leave or that they have a real chance that Giannis leaves. And then John Horst is dying and wants those picks more than anything ever in his life. But this is a grand slam trade. And this is kind of, I guess, you know, this is the lesson in this is that you're going to make a grand slam move at some point and you've got to hit. And they hit beautifully on this trade because what they do is they give up two first round draft picks and they're going to those two first round draft picks are probably not going to be worth much of anything they get the rights to a pick swap in 2014 which would be surprising if it turns out to anything the 2015th pick and i think the 20 uh 13th pick so they'll have the pick this year um there's something or t- sorry 2023 pick in 20 so the 2023 two pick of this season it might be the 2023 pick of this year, and the 2025 pick uh, coming up, and then pick swaps in the two two of the 2024 and 2026 are the pick swaps that are available in there. Hey, Giannis could get hurt. Chris Middleton's injuries could linger, and maybe it ends up being. But that was their grand slam move. Then they really do some really beautiful things on the back end of their roster after hitting on that trade um, they signed Bobby Portis to a fabulous contract a two-year 7.4 million dollar contract in November of 2020 that's a great signing that's a high level backup center signing they had just re-signed Brooke Lopez to a two-year 20 that's a great use of money and they really hit like that's so part two is they now back end this thing pretty nicely. They miss on some, they signed Bryn Forbes who turned out to help them win a championship in a, in, in a, you know, he played 70 games for them um, and averaged 10 points. I don't think you can really complain about that. I would say that was a pretty good back of the, I don't want to like miss for two for a year, 2 million. And then he goes and signs somewhere else for four. So I would say that's a pretty good hit too. So they, Back end of their roster, they really hit on, and this is, hey, this is the team that won the championship. They they signed Torrey Craig, which actually becomes a miss, and they have to trade Tory Craig in the trade deadline because Torrey Craig's grumpy about not getting to play. And they then pull the next move, which is they trade DJ Augustine, their 2021 first-round pick, and DJ Wilson, so irrelevant. They trade their 2021 first-round pick and a 2023 first-round pick to the Houston Rockets for P.J. Tucker. So they, this one's super pricey, but it wins you a championship. So even after, the brilliance on the Drew Holiday trade is that they kept enough of their picks, that they still had enough pieces in their repertoire to be able to make the P.J. Tucker deal. And then they add P.J. Tucker, but they do give up. I mean, they are pickless now at this point. Fine, they've won a championship and they got Drew Holiday and they get PJ Tucker and he leaves in free agency. And then, you know, this last offseason there's no, they don't do much. The only thing they do that's really interesting is they acquire Grayson Allen from on a just a great pickup for Sam Merrill on Memphis some being able to slide him in still having enough flexibility and Chomping at the bit when Memphis wants to get out from under. Memphis really didn't want anything from Memphis got a trade exception for that deal. They're, I mean, they really got they gave away Grayson Allen, who's now starting, and they pick up in August of this offseason, they picked up basically a starting shooting guard. And then interestingly, off that, they then pivot off of Dante DiVincenzo at the trade deadline, has had some ankle problems, and make that move and get some Serge Ibaka, which you know, I think is going to turn out to probably be a non-factor deal uh, when this is all said and done. Uh, Abaka playing two minutes of the playoffs uh, on that. The other final piece of this, and this is just like you got to give them great credit. In this, they're all you know. It's interesting they missed early and they've just been hot since. And maybe having Giannis makes you hot. But on February 24th of this year, right after the trade deadline, or right around the trade deadline, and the and the they pick up Javon Carter off the scrap heap so interestingly if you look at like their last game now Chris Middleton didn't play so Javon Carter probably wouldn't play and but they've got Grayson Allen playing 28 minutes and Javon Carter playing 18 on two guys they basically got for free after they made their big move which was Drew Holiday it's pretty interesting um but And Bobby Portis, who they got for Chief Point 26. They've hit on a lot. They missed on Torrey Craig. They missed on Nikola Muratich earlier. They had to trade Malcolm Brogdon, which was a hard bite. Their big swing was Drew Holiday, and they nailed it, and they didn't give up much. And they left themselves enough pieces of the puzzle to get P.J. Tucker to win a championship. And then they they just did a wonderful job of recognizing players that was going to fit for them, whose use had expired where they were. It's pretty well done. Grayson Allen, Brooke Lopez, Pat Connaughton, Javon Carter, all fit into that. Pretty interesting to see them do it. Let's look at Phoenix and what they did and what we can learn from that. Today's show is brought to you by our friends over at betonline.net. All the sports developments are there. League reviews, news, including this year's basketball playoffs, Major League Baseball, this weekend's run to the Roses at the Kentucky Derby is back. It's your number one source for all betting stats and sports info. Bet online is your continued source for all sporting wagering information from live betting to playoffs to esports and more. Head to the website today. Use your mobile device to learn more of trends and action. Bet online, where the game begins. What are our NBA Kentucky Derby is going to be great. Back in its regular time, feeling good. That's what it's all. About. I love the Derby. Uh, a little NBA for you. As of no games tonight, so Friday. Philadelphia is a one-point favorite in, or Miami is a one-point favorite in Philly, and Dallas is a one-point favorite at home against Phoenix. And then Saturday, Boston is a, uh, Milwaukee is a three-point favorite back home, and Golden State is a a six-and-a-half-point favorite back home. All right, so now we look at the Phoenix Suns and their roster building and what we can learn from that. And there's is interesting. In 2019, James Jones makes his first move and really get, he drafts Jared Culver with the sixth pick of the draft. He turns around and trades it for Cameron Johnson and Dario Saric. Culver turns out to not be able to play. And Cameron Johnson turns out to be wildly valuable. And Dario Saric is a great piece who actually tore his ACL. Big talent recognition of what you want as your roster. This is before... They have Chris Paul. So this is not like James Jones looking at this and saying, hey, I want to, like, I, this fits to Devin Booker and Chris Paul. Give them credit. This is this is a really, you know, heads up. Move. They trade TJ Warren for cash. Clearly understanding the roster. Clear it for Devin Booker. Let it go. Then they make a terrible trade. Again, like, these guys make mistakes. They're not perfect. They trade a first-round pick to Boston, Danny Ainge fleeces him, for Aaron Baines. The first-round pick, by the way, becomes Desmond Bain from Memphis. They then trade DeAnthony Melton for Javon Carter. They then sign Ricky Rubio and Kelly Oubre Jr. This is not on the route to great success in Phoenix at this point. They go to the bubble. They strike pure luck. In the fact that, one, they got in the bubble. They were supposed to not originally be in the bubble. Two, they win eight straight in the bubble and create some momentum. Three, Cameron Payne, who was out of the league after being an Oklahoma City draft pick failure, they pick up and he clicks for them. He's like, and, and then they get to November and Chris Paul wants to play in Phoenix with Devin Booker, who showed signs in the bubble, and they, that, boom, there's their grand slam move. Their Grand Slam, their Drew Holiday, their Grand Slam move. Then they miss again. They draft Jalen Smith, who may turn out to be a player, but wasn't for Phoenix. So if you look at James Jones's early moves, he nails it on the Cameron Johnson trade. He trades TJ Warren for cash, which actually I would say seems like a bad deal, but it's a good deal because he figured out his roster. He makes a bad move in a first round pick for Aaron Baines. He makes a bad move in DeAnthony Melton for Javon Carter. He does whatever you want to think of Kelly Oubre and Ricky Rubio, but probably not great. And then he hits his grand slam. He trades Ricky Rubio and Kelly Oubre for Chris Paul. He signs Jake Crowder a three year, $29 million deal. He signs a bunch of veterans at the end of last year Langston Galloway, Damian Jones, Etwan Moore. Eh, They acquired Tory Craig. Eh. But they're all fine. They're like, that was interesting. He, they built the end of their roster with veterans. Monty Williams was able to get them to all kind of stay together, and it got them to the NBA Finals. Um, they trade Javon Carter in the offseason and a pick for Landry Shamit. Okay. And now it's easier to make moves, right? Now you have Devin Booker and Chris Paul. DeAndre Ayton's emerging, and you can start to fill in your pieces around that Landry Shamit. seems to fit well. It's well well used to the roster. They sign... They do they make two really interesting offseason additions kind of around the fringes on your roster of what you're trying to build. They signed JaVel McGee for a one-year $5 million backup center job. They probably, you know, having not extended Eaton yet, um, they maybe that allowed. I don't think that, I think Eaton's contract would have been the same, but five million for backup centers, decent amount. You know, we went with one million. We got Whiteside, they got McGee. That's probably value. Um, you know, Milwaukee did a great job on that with a two-year $7.4 million contract for Bobby Portis. That was a $3 million, three and a half. That, that was a fabulous backup center move by Milwaukee. Then they signed Alfred Payton for a one-year $2.4 million deal. It didn't really work. They resigned Kaminsky. He got hurt. They pick up Bismack Biombo and they trade Jalen Smith back at the end of the... And they actually get Torrey Craig back again. Doesn't seem to really have a lot of impact on them. And so if you look at the quick summary of this, again, it's the Grand Slam trade. It's the Chris Paul nailed it. Mikkel Bridges uh, drafted in there, by the way. I did not, I, on a great trade for Xavier Smith. Um, I probably, I meant to mention that. And then it's just nice job piecing little places together, right? So Jay Crowder turned out to be a good three-year, $29 million deal for them. Um Cameron Payne was lucky out of the bubble. Cameron Johnson, a great recognition of talent on the draft pick. JaVale McGee, one-year, $5 million deal for a backup center. They paid a little extra. They got their guy. They're not in the tax. They they don't have that. They don't have quite as much of a financial restriction as we did in that circumstance. Landry Shamit. they traded Javon Carter for a guy who gave him 15 minutes last night. Um and then Bismack Biombo was a super good pickup that just matches them. I don't think Bismack Biombo could have done that for much of anyone else. But it's an interesting little look. And again, the takeaway, I would say, nice job around the fringes, right? So with Milwaukee, we talked about the Bobby Portis and having the room to put the P.J. Tucker in there and finding. And then for uh, Phoenix, it's a nice job around the fringes. With JaVel McGee, has been a nice little pickup. For them, Landry Sham, it's a nice little thing. Landry Shamit may fit into the finding the pieces that have expired somewhere else that work for you a little bit better. Jay Crowder might fit into that, though Crowder I think was you know under some demand if you're paying him three or 29 million at that point um, in in their contract. And they also have a unique thing in Phoenix where they're still young. They still have some real youth to their roster with Cameron Payne and Cameron Johnson and Landry Shamet and Kel Bridges and De- Anthony, DeAndre Ayton and Devin Booker that still has some youth to their roster. Milwaukee, not as much. Milwaukee's roster is a little, you know, Portis, Adedocumbo, Lopez, Matthews, Holiday are all pretty much veterans. Then Javon Carter, Pat Connaughton, and Grayson Allen off their bench are a little bit younger in that regard so what's the big takeaway from looking at the two last year nba finals teams and what they did in their roster building and what it means for the utah jazz there's two things one is the grand slam move and ours was mike conley probably and didn't it became an two two run single the left instead of a grand slam like that i think is a little bit of you know an all-star year out of it maybe a double off the wall that drove into instead of a grand slam Maybe a ground rule double that didn't allow the third run to score, right? Like good move, made us better, didn't put us over the edge, didn't grand slam it. The second one is recognition of talent on other teams that kind of that have expired somewhere else that match to you. And then the last one is just the little, those little fringe pieces in finding the PJ Tuckers, the JaVel McGee's of um, uh, the Bobby Portis two-year $7.5 million deal um, that they got. You know, I think Serge Ibaka is probably not going to work out. And then the last thing is that they make mistakes. Like, there are misses. Misses are not, like, something that should ha- happen, and then you immediately get rid of you, you know, we miss. You miss every now and then. Like, that's, that's the reality of it. Um, Phoenix still has a lot of draft capital. Milwaukee has no draft capital left moving forward. Um, we have very little draft capital left off of getting off of the three-year $27 million deal to Derek Favors and getting off of the, and making the Mike Conley trade, we have very little draft capital left. So that would probably be, you know, if you're comparing us, our Grand Slam didn't quite Grand Slam. We have a little less draft capital. I'd say Asan Whiteside was really good for us. Um, our recognition of talent. Jordan Clarkson in the Dante, X, Dante Exum trade certainly is a recognition of talent for, that expired for somebody else that worked for us. That's a great example of doing that. That's how you be how you become as good as we became. Um, in that regard, Rudy Gay we missed like that as of right now. Let, let's see if Rudy Gay can be healthier next year and, and whether or not that changes. Um, and then the you know what's interesting to me is the one thing I I would have expected to see more here of was getting off of your own players to build next players in. And there's just not a lot of that on either of these teams. Phoenix banishes TJ Warren and gets very little for him. They move in DeAndre Melton and get Javon Carter, but there's not other than Ricky Rubio and Kelly Oubre for Chris Paul. Certainly. I mean, I think that's more of what's just a free agent deal, really that they were using to do it as a sign and trade. There isn't a lot of what I would have thought in these two roster builds of Trading Royce O'Neill, Joe Ingles, Boyan Bogdanovich, those kind of players to go get something else, it do- that doesn't exist as much as I would as I was would have thought. I was a little surprised how little we're talking about, like significant kind of second level trades to go bring a player in um, to build your roster. That doesn't seem to be there. What you do see is this recognition of talent on other teams. That fits better on your team. So Jordan Clarkson for the Jazz is, is the is the example there of what we pulled. And then these fringe pieces that you've added on along the way. Um, and and actually interesting, not a lot of like Joe Ingalls, Royce O'Neill, George Niang development, right? Like this is a unique thing that the Jazz have done where they've developed talent out of nowhere. Pat Conanton, Brooke Lopez. Those kind of players, Wesley Matthews, you're not developing them out of nowhere. You're just seeing how they fit into your roster that others have developed. So give the Jazz some credit for actually creating their own little source of talent um, that didn't exist. James Jones deserves some credit for master drafting. Cameron Johnson and Mikel Bridges um, with some master drafting in there um, that are just great picks. And then, you know, having a number one pick kind of changes that whole landscape of everything. All right, that is Locked on Jazz today. Uh, let me know your takeaways from this in the comment section <clears throat> and hearing uh, how those teams built their rosters and what you learned from it. Uh, it is Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Thanks very much for making us your first listen of the day. NBA Big Board, Locked on NBA Big Board for all your draft stuff coming up on the Jazz. Uh, without a pick as of now, but who knows when they get one. See ya.